0: Locked On NBA. The biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in San Antonio to discuss the Kawhi Leonard injury news with Jeff Garcia of Locked On Spurs. We'll stop in Minnesota to discuss the Jimmy Butler injury with Colton Malewski of Locked On Wolves. And then, finally, we'll go to Toronto to discuss the Eastern Conference leading Raptors and the strength of their bench unit with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA.
1: Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Hi, guys, and welcome to Locked On NBA, the new revamped Locked On NBA. I am going to be your Monday host going forward. My name is Josh Lloyd, and I am the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, where five days a week we talk about fantasy basketball, seasonal leagues, and daily fantasy. But I'm going to be hosting Locked On NBA every Monday. Now, you know, we've got a new revamped lineup. We've got uh, David and Wes hosting on Tuesday. We've got uh, John and Jake hosting Wednesday. David Locke still doing Thursdays. And then Anthony and Adam doing the Friday show. So Locked On NBA is now a five-day-a-week podcast. So make sure you are hitting that subscribe button and going, and leaving us a review for this new revamped format. Let's go straight now to San Antonio to discuss the big news across the NBA. And that is, of course, the Kawhi Leonard injury. And we're going to be talking with Jeff Garcia of the Locked On Spurs podcast. Jeff, uh, thanks for, thanks for joining us today on Locked On NBA. And of course, the big news across the NBA over the last couple of days is the, uh, the news on the Kawhi Leonard injury front. First on the report from Greg Popovich saying he'd be surprised if he plays this season. We're not really sure what this season means. Regular season, entire playoffs. No clarification on that from Popovich. But then following up from that, a couple of hours after that Popovich press conference was the Adrian Wojnarowski post. Yeah, saying that the uh, that Kawhi is medically cleared to play and it's his decision to uh, to not participate and to not return to the Spurs as he works out on his own uh, away from the team with team members there to, to supervise. Does this revelation from Pop and then from Woad should it come as any sort of surprise to you or what do we make of this entire situation? Because it's got the majority of the NBA world feeling quite uh, confused and baffled.
1: Well, count me in as far as that population is concerned. Uh, This is a situation that is unprecedented, at least during Popovich's um, watch, where you have a star player not towing the line. David Robinson, a military guy, follow orders, take take directions, be a leader. Tim Duncan, it was like father and son relationship uh, with him and Popovich. He did whatever it took to get the team wins and do whatever it took to help the Spurs financially. And you know the rest of the story when it comes to TD. Now you got Kawhi Leonard. Uh, very quiet guy. A guy who's to himself. I've interviewed him on occasion. And it was like pulling teeth out of this guy to get him to say anything. Uh, at the end of the day, I have four take—about three or four takeaways. The first one is uh, the worst case scenario. If this is a divorce if this is the start of them fighting the pa- filing the divorce papers in the courthouse getting the necessary signatures so be it but if he's going to do it i'd rather him say look it's not going to work out this isn't a, this isn't a good situation for me i do not like how my injury was handled uh, i need to go fu- go somewhere else the heads up so they can maybe get something now look you're not, you're not a, Value for value in this situation, Kawhi Leonard is a stud. You know, hopefully the Spurs can get the best deal they can get for the claw moving forward. Uh, two, if this is simply just about the injury, nothing more, nothing less. Fine, okay, that's good. But he needs to speak out and say something. The, the pulse of Spurs fans and the pulse of the local San Antonio media has gotten to a point where I've never seen it since I've been covering this team on press row since 2004. Never, ever, ever do, do local media ever put out a player on front street, nor do they ever call them out. Now they're doing it. We have several, several local medias that are just saying, Kawhi, you owe it to the fans. You owe it to the people who pay your salary you owe it to the fan base that's been there for you to say something anything he holds the key he can put this to an end right now by simply saying hey nba world san antonio spurs fans look it's nothing it's not a big deal i'm just being paranoid about my injury that's all i want to come back and compete at a high level and that's it so i'm going to take my fine but he won't even do that He he doesn't have to have a press conference. He could just simply tweet it, put it on a fax machine, anything, just to calm the nerves down. He's not doing that. So that I do not appreciate coming from Kawhi Leonard. Third, the real test is going to come this summer. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt right now and say, look, it's just about the, the, the hip injury, the quad injury. So be it. But if he sits down at that table and tells the Spurs, you know what? I ain't going to sign the Supermax deal. Oh, now there's trouble in paradise. and not like there is already. Uh, that will be the telling sign, uh, what he intends as far as Steen in San Antonio and silver and black. At the end of the day, Josh, this is just a situation, and I think, that the Spurs organization and the fan base have gone through since Popovich has been on board uh, it's, it's uncharted territory.
0: Right. You know, Look, like he's he's got the power to end this. I guess speculation to put an end to confirm to deny the the Wode reports to deny all this stuff to say, hey, I'm still working out, I'm still in pain, all this sort of stuff. But there's so much negativity that is going to be coming his way because a lot of people you hear the thing, oh, he's medically cleared, but it's just a pain management issue, and people don't take well to that. They're like, oh, come on, just suck it up. If you were playing back in the in the 80s or 90s, you'd go out there and you'd be able to do that. That's that's a big issue. And the other thing is is tying in with this report is the. Spe- Spurs are struggling a little bit at the moment. We're recording this prior to the Spurs-Cavs game on Sunday. They'd lost their previous four games. They've lost six out of their past seven games. They've lost the last two games in a row to the Denver Nuggets, a team placed well behind them in the standing. So look, you said they did decent to begin the season and, and they were, but we're seeing a, I guess, a cumulative effect of having to deal with this issue that the Spurs players would obviously know about the situation with Kawhi and what's going on. And is that a, a, an additive effect onto them? Plus the fact that they're just trying to, you know, tread water without their best player. And after 60 games, it, it's catching up to them and we're seeing this decline. And is there a chance that they fall them? Out of the top six in the playoffs, do they are they at risk of missing the playoffs given this recent slide down? Can Kyle Anderson and the return of Rudy Gay keep them afloat? Like, how does that all play together? And I, I don't see them. First of all, I don't see them falling out of the playoffs altogether. That that's
1: not going to happen. Can I see them sliding to maybe five? Stay at four, six? Yeah, I could definitely see that. Say what you will about the Thunder. You know, yeah, I know they lost the last game versus the Warriors, but number. Nevertheless, they kind of sort of are started finding their groove. Fortunately, I guess maybe in a bad way. Nothing against Jimmy Butler He's a great player, but hey, you know, that issue happened with Minnesota. Maybe the Spurs don't have to worry about Minnesota as much anymore. Maybe they can hang on to that fourth, third seed. You know, you know, so they'll definitely make the playoffs. They got that 50 win season streak on the line. At this point, Josh, I do not give a you know what about that. This team just needs to be focusing on health, mentality, Uh, The right – everybody doing the right plays. They got the playbook down to a science heading into the postseason. Um, Who do I expect to step up? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, we're recording this prior – well, during, I guess, the uh, Spurs-Cavs game. They've gone through 20 different lineups this season, Josh. 20. They've never, ever had to deal with this, ever. Popovich is known for tightening the – the rotations, getting everybody in some sort of regularity, but 20 different starting lineups, as much as you may say that, uh, that Kawhi Leonard being out is a big issue, and it is, but when you get 20 different lineups, even without Kawhi Leonard, that's going to cause some chemistry issues. And look, say what you will about Patty Mills uh, you know, and his struggles of uh, the season. Popovich has came to his aid and told the media that it's kind of on him, Popovich, that is. One, he's asking Mills to do a, a lot more than what he's accustomed to, especially early in the season when Tony Parker was still out because of the injury he was dealing with. Play, play point guard. Come off the bench. Now you're starting the next couple of games. Okay, now you're starting, but you're not going to be the point guard. You're, you're the off guard. Okay, now you're coming off the bench in the next game. Okay, by the way, you're starting the next game. So that kind of thrown off uh, Mills's, uh rhythm, so to speak, so shooting rhythm. Uh, there's just so many issues regarding this team that I am just amazed that they're still in the fourth seat as we record this show. I'm amazed. I'm like, how? How? When they trot out Davis Bertans, Bryn Forbes, Brendan Paul, uh, you know, lineups that just have you your, your scratching your head, like, we're going with this lineup? Um, So this may be the situation this season where Popovich is going to have to step up and become the MVP. VP of the, of the team, not LaMarcus, although he's playing great, Popovich. If his system is so vaunted and his system is so beholden by the NBA and all the teams want to model it, then he needs to show how great his system is. So far, he's doing pretty good, despite everything they're dealt with. Uh, he needs to just keep on keeping on. If he doesn't get serious consideration for coach of the year, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to like exit the door. But... He, you know, he needs to be the one to be the MVP of this team. As, as much as Lamarcus is an all-star and he's playing lights out, Popovich is going to have to reach deep in that bag of tricks and just think of something to keep this team competitive. Because as you mentioned, they're on, as of, prior to the Cavs game, they, are, they have lost four straight, and it doesn't get any easier for them. They still have dates with the Warriors, well, the Wolves, maybe not as much anymore depending on Butler's status. Uh, they still have dates with Houston, et cetera, et cetera. They got the toughest schedule, remaining schedule in the NBA by far. This is going to break their season right now. the road trip is over, let it begin. And we'll see what this team is made of. But circling back to Kawhi, look, I'm not here to bash Kawhi. I'm not here. Am I disappointed in him? Yeah, a little bit right now. I think that's what it feels like right now, like a bad relationship, like a bad pick up on their relationship.
0: Well, we're all going to be watching to see how this relationship unfolds over the coming weeks and, and months. And of course, heading into the summer with when Kawhi after July 1st has that opportunity to sign that Supermax deal. We'll probably have some clarity before that. But if you want to hear more about all of the Spurs situations, you can check out Jeff on Locked On Spurs. Jeff, thanks for coming on and, uh, and discussing this uh, big story. Not a problem. Now let's head to Minnesota to talk to the host of the Locked On Timberwolves podcast, Colton Molesky. Colton, Jimmy Butler, um, we, we never like to see stars go down. I guess what you could say is the, the injury might be considered a, a best case scenario after what we uh, could have feared with an ACL injury on the table. That's not the case. It's a meniscal injury. The Timberwolves are being, uh, guarded as, uh, as they're uh, expected to be in terms of the actual nature of the injury, what, what, uh, procedures being done. All we know is that Butler has had surgery at this point and will be out for approximately four to six weeks. A, hey, how was the reaction from you and from Timberwolves fans when he went down? You were fearing, fearing the worst, and is this a, a relief, I guess, to hear this sort of diagnosis?
2: Uh, well, first I'll tackle the response. Just kind of horror, almost. Uh, I think the whole mantra for the last, I would say, three weeks, maybe even a month, is that the Timberwolves need to get to All-Star break. All-Star break is where you reset uh, they really still with the Kawhi injury and the Sega that's been throughout the, the season and the opportunity to really make a push for that three seed after 31 wins last year Uh if they have a really solid 21 games here they could push for that three seed and be sitting in a really great spot in the playoffs now Jimmy Butler's out the this month the uh, they're playing some great teams. They play. They started out the, after the All-Star break playing the Rockets. They'll play the Rockets again. They'll play the Trailblazers. They'll play the Celtics, the Warriors, the Wizards, the Spurs, uh, the Rockets again, the The, the Clippers who are uh, a so-so team. They'll play the 76ers. I mean, there are some great teams that they're playing over the last 20 games of the season, and their best player is now sidelined till at least the postseason. So really just this is about as disappointing as it can get for Timberwolves fans. I know that it it could have been worse, but at the same time, they might drop behind the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have been hot as of late. So really distraught as far as the fan base. Uh, And then kind of what you hope going forward for the Timberwolves is that Towns really steps up to the plate, I think, is the the next hope, is that Towns is the guy who can carry this team. Because I don't know if Wiggins can do it. I don't think that Tig... He can do it, uh, and the rest of their guys are kind of veterans or super young, and so outside of towns, I think there's nobody really to step
0: up to the plate. Well, we saw in the in that first game without Butler uh, yesterday that we saw Jeff Teague step up with a with a really huge performance. But I guess it's been a criticism from uh, from my point of view when looking at the Timberwolves, and I know it's been out there in other parts of the media and across Timberwolves media, is just how inactive Kyle Anthony Towns has been. Whether that's been from a passivity from him or a lack of offense being run through him with games with single digit shot attempts. And even in that first game without Butler, it wasn't like he just took on a, an exorbitant amount of usage as he had in the previous season with Butler in Chicago. Is is that an issue, the fact that he isn't isn't as active as what he'd been last season? And do we expect him to get back to that you know, high usage sort of situation that Towns was, uh, was putting up for the majority of you know, his first two seasons in the NBA?
2: I do think you see him go back to where you really run the offense through uh, him mostly. You mentioned Teague having a great game against Chicago, twenty-five points, seven assists. Uh, Taj Gibson stepped up as well in that. Really, that was just the entire team responding to this injury and having everybody step up. You had Taj Gibson with nineteen points, ten rebounds. towns had twenty-two and thirteen. Wiggins had twenty-three points. Uh, the whole team kind of stepped up. You're going to need to see that all the time. Jamal Crawford, nineteen points. You're going to need to see that consistently from this team if they're going to be able to survive the absence. Of uh, of Jimmy Butler, I think you're going to see the offense run through Towns a lot more. I don't know if I would necessarily blame Towns' reduced shots on him. I think that just some of the flow of the offense was getting away from him, and you're going to see him now that Butler is out and that. Towns has to be the number one option. I think you're going to see him go back to getting a lot of a, a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity in the post, a lot of opportunity down low, and you're going to see the offense run more through him and. I wouldn't blame him for them going away from him. I just think there's a lot of pieces on the offense that they're kind of trying to to work through and still try and gel as a unit. And so the problem really here isn't even if you're looking at the grand expanse of things. It's not even that they're probably going to lose more games now that Butler's out, but I think that you saw this team growing well, and they had a couple months where December was most notably from December to January where they grew and took leaps and bounds. Now that growth is a little stunted headed into the playoffs where you're hoping that they develop more headed into the playoffs over the next month and a half. And now that has been stunted. And so that's the real loss here is that Jimmy Butler is losing time with these young guys to really prep them for the playoffs. And that playoff growth, I think, is going to be stunted. I think you're going to see it right
0: away in the first couple games of a playoff series. Well, this team's defense has been up and down all season. They started off poorly, then they had a, a nice run where they That's were. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, it, it's it's it, it's it's confusing. I'm sure it's confusing for you as well. Like they started off poorly, had this great run where their defense was you know, well up there in the rankings, and then they've dropped back off. And overall, they're the 26th ranked defense in the NBA, and now losing. What I was going to say, arguably, but I don't think there's any argument that he is their best defensive player, and that's Butler. He was a. The team is over ten points per hundred possessions worse when he has been on the bench. I guess the the positive when you're looking at those numbers is when the uh, Nemanja Bielica plays with the starters, they are a plus three point two. So there's an ability there to tread water. But in so many cases, when a player from the starting lineup gets injured. It's not the guy that comes and replaces that player. It's who replaces the replacement. So who takes those Bielitsa minutes where he was playing on the bench? We saw Marcus George's Hunt play a little bit extra. It's extra minutes for Jamal Crawford. Is that the area of concern, or is it the Bielitsa moving into a larger role that's more of a concern for Timberwolves fans?
2: I think it's Bielitsa moving into more of a a starting role, or at least getting more closer to starting minutes uh, over the next, next month or so. He really has been flat-footed on defense, especially getting out on the perimeter. Uh, He really looked solid in the first uh, I would say maybe uh, four weeks, uh, five weeks, and his defense really tailed off. He he was deceptive in that first month, I think, and
0: he has has proven
2: not to be a very great defender at all and not really apt at getting out to perimeter. you got his great length, which makes him look tempting as a, a solid defender, but he has not performed as such really flat-footed, not showing a lot of speaking out to the perimeter, closing out, things like that. So the defense really takes a hit. The biggest problem with the Timberwolves when you lose Jimmy Butler is that that's their motor defensively uh, for most of these games. And effort on the defensive side has always been a critique of the Timberwolves all season long on the Locked On Wolf show. We've talked about how they just don't show up for all the games. They show up for some of the games, and they look really good when they blow out the the Cavaliers at home, but they don't show up for every single game. And now when you have a guy like Jimmy Butler, who is their defensive motor, Out of the lineup, I think that problem is going to be accentuated throughout the the next month and a half of the the Timberwolves season is their motor is gone. And so now how do they respond and how does the defense pick up when they don't show up for a game at halftime? Who's going to be the guy who steps up and get get some people's faces about those kind of things at halftime of a game where they don't really show up? And I'm not sure I have an answer right now.
0: Billyts has started 5 games this season, 4 earlier on when Butler was injured and the one across the weekend he's played 166 minutes in a starting role but his defensive rating in that time's 116. He's averaging 11 points and 7 rebounds but with a negative plus minus in that time and that's the concern I guess is that is how that defense which has struggled is it going to get worse? But I guess if you're going to look bright side of things Colton is it it's already the 26th ranked defense so it doesn't have that far to fall. Like if, if it gets worse it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a massive amount to fall but then of course you've got to look at the other side of the ball because Butler is a huge engine offensively as well. And Beal can't pick up that slack, can't pick up that usage. That's got to be Towns. It's got to be Wiggins doing something extra with his game. Um, It's got to be Teague stepping up as well. It's got to be all these. Jamal Crawford, he has to be efficient and not take stupid shots, which has been a problem for him over the past couple of seasons. And he was good in that first game, but being able to maintain that for the stretch run of the season is going to be tough. Yeah, Timberwolves fans have been waiting a long time to get a playoff contender. They're probably still going to be a playoff team, but obviously not in the exact position that they would hope or would have hoped to have been as they had ascended into that third seed, as you'd alluded to earlier with the Kawhi Leonard injury news. They're hoping to lock themselves in there, you know, get themselves set up for a, a semi-final berth, perhaps, maybe even push through to the conference finals. And all that now is is tough, even though Butler might be back for the playoffs. But as you said, you're know, working through these, last two months getting the consistency working out the flaws and the kinks and things it's going to be tougher now as we wait for Butler to come back and yeah he might, might return for the last couple of regular season games but in general when you're having meniscus surgery the lower end of the timetable is often an unrealistic expectation and I think that's what uh, NBA fans and Tim Wolves fans should be bracing for is not to expect the lower end of that return scale for Butler.
2: No, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, and the the bottom line, too, is the way they've set up this team, It's not uh, they're not buying a team for this year. They really, with the max contract for Wiggins, the way they have uh, Butler for at least another year before, they have to figure out his contract situation, uh, and they're probably going to try and get Towns to stick around for a max deal. Uh, I'm assuming they offered with Butler money. They're building this. They have a on a three-year deal they're building this for a couple years not just this year the last thing you want the Timberwolves to do is rush Butler back and then hurt him and really cut into next season because you as much as the Timberwolves fan base really wants a a playoff berth and a really good playoff outing this season it would be worse to sabotage what they're doing for the next couple of years just for the hope of a really good playoff series this year so as far as the Jim Butler injury as much as it hurts right now, you can't rush him back. The worst case scenario is that they try and rush him back, and he makes it worse in the the first or second game of a playoff series.
0: I'll throw this out there at you, Colton. You say that, and that would be the worst case scenario. In the game against the Bulls, the first game post-Jimmy Butler injury, the Timberwolves were up by 20 points with two minutes left in the game, and all the starters were still out on the court. So it's hard to see Tom Thibodeau really having a long-term view of things rather than pushing for every single ounce of anything he can get out of anyone at any time like there's it it feels from an outside perspective that there is very little long-term thinking in what Tibbs does a lot of the time and again when you're 20 points up with two minutes left in a game against a team that isn't trying to win necessarily and you just had your star player go down to a knee injury surely there'd be some sort of foresight to get those blokes out of the game but clearly that's not what happened
2: yeah, it's it's very aggravating, and you can try and justify it by saying, oh, well, Jimmy Butler's out, so their bench is a little tired too. You've got the guys on the bench. Get, the, get Towns, get Wiggins, get Teague out of there, especially Teague, who has already sustained a, a pretty gnarly-looking knee injury earlier against Denver in December. Get those guys out of there, and I can't tell you how aggravating it is for somebody who watches all the Timberwolves games to see this happen regularly. especially when you have a superstar like Jimmy Butler going out. Why are you playing with fire? There's no reason to do it. It it doesn't bode well for the future, especially like I'm saying, if you have him playing like that, you got to think he might try and get Jim Butler out there a little too soon. And again, that is just the worst way you could handle this.
0: Yeah, I think that that's the real concern to me is the Tom Thibodeau lack of foresight. He's running, he's the coaching, he's running yeah, management stuff, and that the fact that there's just very little long term thinking in so much that he does, just with in game management, that you do have that real worry. Hopefully, things you know, uh, there's common sense approaches to injury return. We will wait and see on that, Colton. I know you're going to be all over this situation and how the Wolves uh, proceed without Butler for these next month, couple of months of the season, and you can hear all about that on Locked On. Timberwolves Colton thanks for jumping on and discussing uh, the big news across the NBA
2: thanks for having me Josh uh, go Wolves make sure you check out the Locked On Wolves podcast we'll be talking a lot about this this week uh, thanks for having me on and uh, hopefully hopefully Jim Jimbo doesn't come back too soon
0: absolutely thanks Colton finally I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Raptors podcast Sean Woodley we're going to discuss the number one seed in the Eastern Conference the Toronto Raptors Sean good to have you on Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on, man. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about here with the Raptors, we know that they are in the one seed. They've actually won one fewer game than what the Celtics have, because they've played three less games overall. They're currently in that one seed, so you have potential to push forward. They're a team that's been in this conversation, you know, for the last three to four years. But there's a little bit different, uh, a little bit of a different feel about this Raptors team, but. I guess we all still have that skepticism. I'm not sure if you guys do that up in Toronto, but just the way that they have exited the playoffs or struggled in in matchups that they perhaps should have won more convincingly over the past years. Do you feel it's any different this season or you still have that level of fear that it's not going to translate to how we see things uh, play off in the playoffs?
3: Yeah, like there's always going to be that trepidation until we see this team in the playoffs. But I do think there are lots of reasons to think that it is different this year. And I do think kind of the maybe the more general conversation about the team doesn't really maybe highlight the changes that they've kind of instituted this season I mean the offense is just so much different than it used to be um, you know they're moving the ball significantly more and more passes per game I mean they, they were bottom of the league in passes per game last season they're up in the middle of the pack at this point in this season uh, which is like not obviously anything amazing but the compared to what they were in the past and considering that they were already a top five offense every single year doing what they were in the past like just to sort of diversify things it's been really successful this year um, and like they're just a really deep team and they're good up and down the roster and I think people are kind of sleeping on how good the defense is as well it's been top three or four depending on what day it is when you look at the standings uh over the course of the entire season in terms of uh defensive ratings so I do think the formula is different and I think once the playoffs come around I mean for me I'm less concerned about a first round playoff matchup than I have been in years uh and this has kind of been a thing Raptors fans love fear-mongering every single March and April about who they're going to play in the first round and who's going to win Game 1 in Toronto at noon on Saturday. Um, but it's uh, this season I'm feeling more and more confident that we're actually going to see a Raptors series where it's like a five-game series or like a six-game series that doesn't feel like it's in doubt and they give up a couple road games. But it's not like that Bucks series last year where it felt just like at every moment, even when the Raptors were up big in Game 6, the Bucks made that crazy comeback and nothing felt easy or simple. And I do think it's different this year, and I think we'll have to wait – I guess, to see in the playoffs before people really start to really start to buy in. But I do think it's kind of lazy to say, you know, that this team is just going to do what they've done in the past because the formula is different. And people have always criticized the formula uh, and sort of said, oh, the, this is not going to be translatable to the playoffs. Like what they're doing this season is significantly more, I think, at least, you know, playoff proof, I think, and just in how they're going about things. So uh, I, I do think people will eventually come around once they see it up close and impersonal in in the playoffs.
0: At least if they don't get the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round of the playoffs, they won't have to face off against the greatest center of all time, and that is Thon McCurr versus the Raptors, the only team that he seems to actually oh. play against. It, it's literally unbelievable that he does nothing in every other game. Every time against the Raptors, he's an unstoppable force. And But I'm sure you're well aware of that. We saw it in the playoffs last year. We've seen it, I think, in all three matchups they've had this season that he comes out and just plays like he's the best player on the floor, and it's a it's a very weird phenomenon. I know he is, you know, played, spent a lot of his time in Canada before he went to the NBA, but it is a it is a weird phenomenon, isn't it? It's
3: unbelievable. It's so it's ridiculous. I mean, last season it really felt like. You know, Thon McCur was like the second most important player to the first three or so games of that Bucks series, and it really felt like Thon McCurr making the leap before our eyes was going to be the reason the Raptors went into a rebuild. It was ridiculous. Eventually, obviously, things evened out, and that's what seven-game series are for, I suppose. But yeah, the uh, people seem really low on him, and every time I see him, I'm like, uh, this dude is really good, and he should be. Everyone should be scared of what he's going to become next to Giannis. Obviously, he's not doing that in every other game he's playing, but uh, for Raptors fans, he's one of those guys, and there are lots of those guys like gerald henderson was one of those guys once uh he was kobe Bryant every time he played the raptors as a fantasy guy i'm sure you would keep an eye out for when gerald henderson was playing the raptors there are a few guys like that but
0: thon mccurve maybe the most random of all those guys in the entire league right now i want to talk about how the the raptors look and how they're using their lineups at the moment because they're they're running very much uh hockey lines they're starting five and they're bringing in the five bench guys and these are the two Lineups that have played the most minutes, the starters have played 618 minutes per basketball reference, and they're a plus 12.5 net rating. The bench unit, the second most minutes at 168, and they're a plus 35.6, which is an extraordinarily <laughs> large number. But, Sean, when we get to the playoffs, people shorten their rotations. And the big strength of the Raptors here is just how well the bench plays and how it just extends leads over these other teams' benches. But the problem is, is when we're playing in the playoffs, other teams' benches are going to include three starters. So it's going to be a little bit of a different thing. We saw earlier in the season, Dwayne Casey was running 12-man rotations. We've had Norm Powell and Bebe Nogueira sort of excised from that on a, a general basis now and running that Starting five, bench five unit. But when they get to the playoffs, does Casey have to pair that back? Does he go to eight man? Does he go to nine man? And will that advantage that is one of the more significant advantages across the entire NBA, the Raptors bench, will that impact be nullified when teams are only playing eight man rotations in the playoffs? Yes, there's a few things that kind of go into this. I don't know yet. Like, I would have said if you asked me
3: two months ago, like, yeah, Casey's going to pare down his rotation. I think the reason he's gone with such a deep rotation has been to try to keep guys like Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan as fresh as possible, Serge Ibaka as well. And playing 12 guys makes it easy to do that, especially when you're winning, you know, three out of every four games when when, when you're playing that many guys. I mean, if you can get away with it, then why not do it? But I do think it's really – the thing about the Raptors bench is I'm not sure – they're going to play all these guys and you know i don't think you're going to see all 10 or 11 guys play in in, in any given game in the playoffs but I do think, based on the matchup, I think it's pretty sort of interchangeable in terms of the skills that they have among the guys on the bench. And I think, like, we're going to see series where Pascal Siakam is a useful player and maybe another one where he's not, or maybe Fred VanVleet is the go-to guy ahead of DeLon Wright or vice versa. Like, I think it could change. So I think all these guys are going to play at some point. And I wouldn't be shocked if Dwayne Casey just went five out, uh, five and five, to see what happens in the playoffs, just to see if it works. Um, Because that lineup, the thing about the bench unit is it's had a bunch of games where – it's gone against starters and been completely unstoppable as well there was that game against the Cavs where they completely eviscerated uh you know lineups with LeBron James out there there have been a lot of games this season where they've just been incredible regardless of who the opponent is and I don't know what to make of it. It's kind of crazy. At the start of the season, their offense really felt like it had nothing going. It just it, it seemed like there was no creation among those five guys, and pretty much every basket they got came off a transition opportunity, and I guess it's nice because they create transition opportunities all the time because they're always poking balls free, uh, getting rebounds, and sort of, you know, when you have Pascal Siakam running the break at his speed, it gets kind of easy to score baskets, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't know yet again I'm less confident now than I would have been two months ago that he's going to actually pair it back um, this is so not Casey too, because in the past he's always been criticized for being too stu- too staunch in his rotations, and you know he was really married to the Kyle Demar staggering thing, which I think was a good thing, but it also led to Kyle playing 38 minutes a game, uh, Demar the same, and it led to some of the issues that they had over the course of the season, where they just they, they didn't have much in terms of you know versatility or flexibility when it came to the, came to their lineups, whereas. I think this season they have that uh, sort of over the top and it's been kind of hard for Casey at times to actually find what lineups he wants to use in certain moments. I mean, a lot's been made of the crunch time issues and I'm sure we'll probably talk about that today. Uh, Like their crunch time has not been good. The first 45 minutes of games, their offense has been incredible and it's fallen off a cliff in the, in late in games. And there hasn't really been a set crunch time lineup that the Raptors have gone to. And I think that's part of the issue. Obviously it's sort of just reverting back to old habits and kind of the, the natural run of, crunch time performance uh, crunch time games i guess and you know iso kind of takes over regardless of what team you are but it becomes more amplified when it's a team that has done it so much in the past and is trying to you know shake that as much as they can this year um but like we still haven't really seen anything with like the say the starters with cj miles in instead of og and and obi we haven't seen a ton of serge Ibaka playing the five latent games like these are all lineups that i would have expected to see a ton of at the start of the year but just the way it's gone it hasn't been necessary so uh i, I don't really have an answer to your question because it's been so unpredictable in terms of who's going to play well on certain nights who's going to play crunch time here and there where the bench is going to come in where the bench is going to struggle i mean it's just so up and down the only thing that's been consistent, though, is the bench. So I don't think we're going to see Casey just immediately say, all right, it's the playoffs now. Three of these guys can't play. I think he's going to try to play as many of them as possible and see what works. He's always been kind of a guy who he'll stick with guys who he trusts who are who have earned the trust over the course of the game. So I think he's going to give those guys an opportunity, and we'll just see how it plays out over the course of an entire playoff game.
0: You touched on a couple of yeah, things that, that, that I like, wanted to uh, to mention, and it was one of them was Serge Ibaka playing center last year in his time in Toronto, 33 Percent of his minutes came at centre this year. We're talking just 15 percent. And earlier mm-hmm. on this season, we saw Jonas Valentunas's minutes get reduced significantly. He was playing like 17 minutes. I think he went down to 13 minutes in one game. You're consistently under 20, but of recent times, he has surged back up. He's playing fantastically, and his minutes are pushing up, you know, 26, 27 on some nights. And it's him and Yucca Pertl taking the entirety of the minutes at centre. What's necessitated, or what's what's prompted Casey to make that sort of change? And you do you think that that is something? We know Valanciunas' deficiencies in, in pick-and-roll defense. Is that going to be something that the Raptors are going to have a problem with in the playoffs? And is this lack of a Barker running in that, in that five spot during the regular season, could that be a potential issue for them, having not played those lineups as often this season?
3: I'm not sure because I think Abaka is just he's usually better when he's playing center anyway, regardless of how often it's happening. So I think like if that comes up in the playoffs and they have to put him at the five, it'll be okay. The thing is, like there's not a natural partner really to put next to him at at the four the same way there was last year. I mean, him and P.J. Tucker last season as a frontcourt pairing, I can't remember exactly what their defensive rating was as a two man combo, but it was something like 96 points per 100 possessions or something like that. Like they were incredible together and it just made a lot of sense. They could both shoot. Uh, They were obviously very switchable on defense. Defense And it just made a lot of sense on just in terms of how the Raptors wanted to play. Uh, this season, because there's kind of a lack of shooting in the front court for the team, aside from apparently Jonas Valanciunas, which is a thing now apparently too, um, but like Pascal Siakam, his, his three-point shot has evaded him all season long. He keeps putting them up. It's not falling. I like that they they have him with a green light to just sort of see if he can do it, but ultimately I'm not sure how effective it is. Um,
0: and then when you have... You know, it's, OG currently, and it's currently 19%, so the answer yeah. to that question so, is yeah, not effective at all. But he is, he is yeah, putting exactly. him up, you're right.
3: Yeah, it's, it's not. It's, I like, again, I like that they have the green light, but they're giving the green light, but again, it's not you know translating in anything successful. Although, when he makes a three, it's very fun as a Raptors fan because <laughs> it's so rare. Um, but yeah, no, and with OG and an OB's three point shot kind of going in and out of late as well, I think he's like 22% or something over the last month or so. Uh, that's been an issue, but, and because what you would have thought would be OG would be a perfect player to play next to Serge Ibaka at the five. Um and just have those guys be your front court. He can kind of be the PJ Tucker, you know, stand in for uh, as opposed to last season. But uh, th- I don't think OG's quite ready for that. So they're kind of stuck with this thing where Jonas is playing incredibly well. Yakupurl has been really good as well. Pascal Siakam's is great, but I'm not sure the fit how that works next to Serge, Serge Ibaka. And they're just kind of I think riding out the regular season this way because Jonas has been so good and he's earning the minutes. And like it's not bad to have a Jonas Valanciunas with lots of confidence who's playing well. Uh, I do think ultimately in some of the most important minutes games we're going to see you know come playoff time depending on the matchup of course but i do think we'll see a lot of surge at the five early in the year there were some rebounding issues with the team in terms of how they were you know responding when they would go with surge at the five it wasn't so much surge himself he was rebounding fine himself but like the rest of the team wasn't really helping out in that regard and because surge is kind of slight compared to most fives he was kind of the, the raptors were kind of giving up bad offensive rebounding games but I think we'll see that. We'll, we'll see. I'm sure they'll find some sort of combo that works, whether it's Siakam, whether it's, you know, I've always kind of liked the idea of a Pirtle Siakam, sorry, Pirtle's Ibaka front court where, uh, you know, Ibaka is essentially the four on offense, but they kind of inverse roles on defense because Pearl's quick enough to kind of stay with guys in the perimeter. Same thing that works with Pascal Siakam as well, maybe even to greater effect. Um, so I think there will be some looks where it, where it ends up sort of making sense. Maybe CJ miles plays some four. I know that's kind of something the Raptors haven't really toyed with this season, just because I think they worry about the defense that he gives up, especially if he's playing next to DeMar DeRozan. Um, but like, I, I think there will be opportunities to sort of experiment with those small, maybe defense light, but heavy shooting lineups. Um, but I, I, again though I think we'll see a lot of Ibaka at the five when it really matters because that's always been his best position I think you know, the last four or five seasons, he's been kind of playing at a position just based on the personnel and which he, who like who he's playing with. I mean, he wasn't going to play center when Steven Adams was there in OKC. He was just kind of stuck playing the four. Same deal with the four billion centers in in Orlando. He was just like, all right, you can shoot, so I guess you're playing four now, even though maybe he should, he should, he was better suited as a five. And same deal with Valanchunas uh, over the last year or so. Like it's just you know you can't not play Valanchunas at all. He's been too good. He's been too effective for that. Um, but playoff time, I think the leash will be short on JV. And, and if the pick and roll defense issues you know, resurface, if he becomes a target for teams. I don't think Dwayne Casey will think twice about putting Serge at the five because we have seen it work before.
0: We're all going to be excited to see how this works, to see how this yeah, bench unit, the best bench unit in the NBA, is going to translate to playoff success. I'm always rooting for a, an underdog, Sean. I want uh, I want teams that haven't tasted that sort of success to, to get that. So I'm I'm hoping the Raptors can push through and, and get themselves into the conference finals and, and move forward and uh, maybe take on uh, the Warriors or the Rockets in the finals. That's uh that'll be something interesting for me. I'm sure a lot of NBA fans, save for people in Cleveland and Boston, would be feeling a similar <laughs> a, a similar way. Sean, thanks for coming on and. To Discussing the Raptors here today on Locked On NBA. Absolutely, Josh. Anytime. Well, there you have it. The first episode of the revamped Locked On NBA Mondays. My name is Josh Lloyd, and I am the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. And you can go and find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Big thanks to Jeff Garcia, the host of Locked On Spurs. Colton Molesky, the host of Locked On Timberwolves and Sean Woodley, the host of Locked On Raptors. Go and listen to each of those individual podcasts, and you can check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network on Twitter, at Locked On NBA Net. So go ahead and follow there as well. And while you're at it, if you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, go and leave a five star review. That would be a great way of getting the word out about the show. Share it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, tell your friends, all that sort of stuff. I'll be back next Monday, but make sure you're checking out the rest of the Locked On NBA shows across this week. We've got shows five days a week now, so make sure you're checking them all out. See ya.